Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 240. You know, I mentioned Space Odyssey, and you know, Stanley Kubrick is sort of a hero. Every time I turn the camera on, I, I think of his work, and not that his films are better than anybody else or anything, but there's a commitment to, and this is his quote, do it right, do it better, and then do it again. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Chris Sweeto. Chris, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm uh, fully adjusted, yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Great. Chris Weedo has over 20 years of experience in videography, writing, and editing. He's the recipient of national and regional Emmy nominations and a category winner of the Motor Press Guild Dean Bachelor Award for Excellence in Automotive Journalism. Along with work in a variety of fields, Chris has created automotive videos on Ralph Lauren's automobile collection and signature works for public television distribution including Lime Rock Park, The Secret Valley of Racing, and A Gull Wing at Twilight, The Bonneville Ride of John Fitch. Chris, I've told the listeners just a little about you. Would you take a moment and share a little more about your career, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles and filmmaking? Well, let's, let's start with the passion for automobiles. <laughs> Perfect for cars, um, yeah. <laughs> I can remember being on the playing on the playground in this Catholic school that I went to in Schenectady, New York. I'm from upstate New York mm-hmm. and uh, lived in several places. But uh, I remember the, there was this game that we played called My Car, Your Car. And, every, you know, this particular car would go by and there'd be a junk. Oh, that's yours and this is mine. And, you know, you'd always <laughs> want, want to have the best car. Of course. You know, I grew up in the 1960s. Anytime the Indy 500 or the, you know, wide world of sports would have uh, the green monster and uh, oh, the spirit yeah. of America going, going at each other. <laughs> and so that was another thing, because that looked like the space age, like rocket cars. Uh, anything with wheels, when you're a little kid, you have you have toy cars. I can still remember begging my parents on two specific Christmases, one for uh, the Aurora Thunderjet 500 road race set. <laughs> oh, very cool. <laughs> which, I, which, I, which I still have. And, no uh, kidding. <laughs> yeah, I refuse to sell it on eBay. On eBay Good but, for you. Uh, and also the slot cars a few a few years later were you know you you they were 124 scale and I had the the Jim Hall Chaparral oh, with the wing with the yeah it was it was it was cool 
but uh you know it it's it's just this this uh, uh little world that you lived in and this little culture that was sort of symbolic or emblematic of what was going on in the real world with guys like uh you know Mario Andretti or AJ Foyt or Mark Donahue or you know any of the great racers oh, and yeah. uh so I've you know I've always had that fascination with it as any kid would have for cars. And as far as the career, you know I've been at this uh, film stuff, um, special interest videos, um, broadcast documentaries, working for museums for uh, about uh, 25, almost 30 years. You know I went to college for communication studies, and uh, that was sort of a hands-off experience, uh, more theoretical. Mm-hmm. And uh, as time grew on, I got involved with a, a corporate television in Connecticut. And it was a, of all, it was kind of a very weird thing, because it meant going to nuclear power plants, <laughs> hmm. which, uh, you know, one of the first ones I went to was uh, on the West Coast in San Onofre. Ah, in, uh, yes. North. I remember driving by there on the way to Disneyland. Right. <laughs> What's known as the Dolly Parton uh, uh, yes. power plants for, for obvious reasons. <laughs> the Dagmars. The two domes. <laughs> <laughs> right. But at any rate, I, I learned this, this mechanical engineering and, and doing films related to it. And I tried to inject the human element in it. And uh, it took a while for the, the corporation that I worked for to you know kind of sort of like my style and I was developing a style on their coin and uh in time you know everybody I knew that was uh doing this kind of work which was a very uh busy in the 1980s and 90s with corporate mm-hmm. production that you had halfway decent budgets and you know you were learning on their dime and I was always fascinated by film ever since I saw Space Odyssey and which um I became aware of there's something very artistic and manipulative going on, and it's it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. How does anyone ever get into this? And there's probably about 100 side doors to, to do, but I, I think it's a matter of following your passion. You know, in time, I was looking for a project once I thought I had my uh, skills somewhat refined to try to do a documentary film. And I chose Lime Rock Park, a beautiful place in northwest uh, Connecticut in the Berkshires, really a world unto itself and and in taking that risk of spending your own money and pursuing telling the story about the track and about racing and about why people race my my brain just got going and when you it was a pretty good idea and all of a sudden if you've got a good idea and you know you're using your own money people start to show up <laughs> uh, and and amongst those people that started to show up were Sam Posey oh. uh, John Fitch Skip Barber I didn't know anything about the track I thought it was sort of a greaser hangout but it reminded me when I looked at it, looking down, you know, when you, you come upon it, you're on this really nice country road, and it sits down in a valley, and you look on it, and it just reminded me of the road race set. It really lit me up. It, it, my, all my things in my childhood were were starting to pop, and, and I thought, I conceived of a, a, a film that would be shot over four seasons with four different gear changes, of a, a, a winter anticipation, spring arrival, summer the p- participation, and mm-hmm. fall departure. Yeah. So. You know, racing, they say, is life and all that. You've got the Steve McQueen posters. Yep. To some extent, if you're really, you become a devotee, and especially the most dangerous kind of devotee is somebody who comes on later in life. (laughs) He's he's probably willing to spend every ounce of money he has. I was never interested in racing to do it. I was interested in to communicate in an art form of the documentary. So that was, you know, that brought me into where, life sort of began the kind of life that I have now which uh, these sort of films that I've made for public broadcasting some of the other work 
has been for you know museums such as the Louvre and in Paris the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston with the Ralph Lauren car collection and uh, you know anytime I'm around cars I love it I uh, love shooting it it's, it feels very uh, good it's natural and uh, so anyway that's a uh, sort of my uh, career at this point. That's absolutely wonderful. We're going to learn a little bit more about these two videos that you've done in particular, but as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote, and it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So Chris, I guess I would say take the wheel, but take the camera. Well, I mean, in in my field, and you know, this may or may not relate to anything else, but you know, I mentioned Space Odyssey and you know, Stanley Kubrick is sort of a hero every time I turn the camera on. I, I think of his work, and not that his films are better than anybody else or anything, but there's a commitment to, and this is his quote, do it right, do it better, and then do it again. Hmm. As a, you know, if you've got that first shot, and it's, oh, that's, wow. You know, it's almost like luck sometimes. And, and then let's see if you can do it better. And then, and then you got that, and let's just try another angle. Let's see if we can do it again. And so then you, you know, when you have all these pearls when you're going to edit, you know, you've got, You've got things to work with. Right. The other quote is, if it can be thought, it can be filmed. And that was another quote by, by Stanley. And oftentimes, you know, you're, you're, you're at your wit's end figuring, how am I going to communicate this to people? And is it possible? How is it? And they said, well, you just thought about it. Think about, you know, the fact that, that your thought can be filmed. What mm-hmm. did you just think? So there's some way, even if it's an animation, you, you know, that which you need to depict. It's a way of overcoming your sort of uh, nervousness or your, your maybe a lack of confidence. You have to remind yourself that that anything with this field is doable. It's very plastic and very open. I love those quotes for a variety of reasons, but let me ask you this before we we get on with your automotive journey here. Because a lot of people, when they think about shooting video, shooting film, they think, okay, it's all planned out and the people just do their things and the guy behind the camera just points the camera. But I don't think that's really true. In your case, Maybe you can somewhat quickly describe, do you have a vision as you go in as a filmmaker of what you already want to see, or do things just kind of unfold as you're there? Well, there's a a saying of uh, you make the film you want to see, but at the same time, you have to take into account that if you have an hour-long or a 90-minute documentary, you're asking someone to spend 90 minutes or or an hour inside your head. Mm -hmm. It's a responsibility, and if you have a subject matter, such as uh, you know a racetrack or Bonneville Salt Flats or Ralph Lauren's cars or whatever you know it's a big responsibility. Yes, I do have a plan. I have a concept based on what I think is good communication. Sam Posey told me when he went to work for uh, Rune Arledge at ABC Sports, and I never forget this. What Sam said was define the setting, introduce the players, show the players at play, then tell the audience why it's significant. I mean, you look back at the old ABC Sports uh, coverage, which you know I think was way better than it is today. Yeah, and by and large, coverage I think coverage is much better than than today. Only in the sense of I'm not getting hit hard with a lot of stuff that is not necessary to the story. Mm-hmm. And it was based on just keeping it on the track. You know, keeping right. the basics of once again. You know, having defining that setting, if you remember how they, they would come on, and then they'd say, and today, you know, in the Indy 500, and we've got these guys. Right. Then you get to see him play. Now, after a while, does this become significant? I think in the end it does. And it's uh, the real pros who are really good with their voices, good with the cameras and directing and everything, can bring that to the point at which, you know, you just spent three hours watching cars go around, but you got something out of it. Right, yeah. Then again, that can be used whether you're, you're writing a letter to the, the editor 
you know, about something in your town or certainly when you're going to communicate any story. Well, Sam is such a talent. I would love to have him on Cars, yeah, because I've his voice and how he does things over the years, I've listened to him since I was a little kid, so I admire him a lot. You're very fortunate to get to spend some time with him. Would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? You talk about on, being on that playground and playing that game, which I think is really great. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy? Well, my parents had one of the worst cars in our town. Uh, <laughs> it was a 54 Chevy, and it was like the Flintstone mobile. You could literally see the ground and, uh, underneath. And uh, they bought a, a brand. They were Chevy people, and they and they, they bought a brand-new white 66 Bel Air. And I, I just remember, you know, when you're going to go to buy a car, and your parents are you're going to the showrooms and stuff, and you're, you're going along with them, you're getting real excited. You're looking at every car you can identify. Oh, that's a... Ford or that's a, a Chevy or that's a Cadillac or you know you become you, then you know the years mm-hmm. and it's it's something that clicks in your brain it, you know I'm sure there's been a study like what is the car part of your brain <laughs> and it's that way with trains and it's that way you know with uh, with airplanes as well for people but cars are are, are magical and Fitch uh, John Fitch talked about them being a magic carpet of our time and yeah and the adventure on wheels and everything but they're also representative of us. That's who we are and the kind of things that we buy, whether we're wasteful or frugal or, you know, we want to be cool or, you know, we want to be practical. Sure. I would say when you get that smell of your first car and, you you know, we were 10, I was 10 years old, you know, they treated it like gold. They were locking it up inside the garage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, big <laughs> investment. But, yeah, but, but, yeah, I would have to say that it was the family car that, 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 that did it and uh, the feeling that came yes. from it. Yeah, I, I remember similar things, too, looking for a car with my parents and one of the things I remember was laying in the back of a Barracuda that had that big window in the 60s had a huge rear window and laying back and looking up at the stars and going I want this car dad I get this car they ended up with a Pontiac Le Mans because that Barracuda only had two doors but I do remember the smells and the feelings and thinking how cool that was Chris, I'd love to take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a huge challenge or a great failure that you faced along the way. Perhaps it was when you were filming one of your documentaries in some way, but I'd love for you to share this with our listeners and most importantly, how you overcame the situation and what you learned from it. Well, the other film I made is uh, Going in Twilight, which is a film that was played on the practically every PBS station. uh, It's the story of John Fitch at the age of 88 going out to Bonneville. Salt flats to try to break a uh, a class record in a gull wing, and I saw that you know the, the, it's not just about cars or going fast, about the fact that he was 88 years old, and and here he is becoming younger just by being around the cars, standing a little more upright. He put the racing suit on. He was seemed 20 years younger. He put the helmet on, and all of a sudden he was very spry. He was given something to do, mm-hmm. you know, which once again is about your passion and retaining that. That I think might help you live long, and that's. That's the thing that I tried to explore with that film. But when I first looked at Bonneville, I said, this is one big place, and uh, how are we going to do this? And, you know, the reverse angle is, you know, two miles away because you've got to go around the other side. Right. And and there was the heat and the physical, the physical element, too, was difficult. And it, it's a risk because, you know, you're taking your money and you're going out and you're, you're doing this, and you sort of have a plan. You don't even know what's going to happen. You're putting your faith in the universe <laughs> and in your instincts. And so that kind of a thing, uh, all projects are hard. But one of the reasons that it is cool is because it is hard to do. 
Yes. There are a lot of people out there with cameras these days, digital SLRs and all this. And, and there, there, you know, this seems to be a revolution in, in t- storytelling where you can uh, literally make a feature film. Um, with your uh, GoPro. Off- <laughs> well, not with a, I don't think you can make it with a GoPro. I, that would drive me crazy. But, you know, I've seen good work out of even digital SLRs. Right. I'm, I'm more of a traditionalist. I prefer a camera that actually is a camera. <laughs> yeah, that, that feels, you know, like one. Yes. It's also, too, overcoming your own doubts about yourself, mm. which are, you know, any artistic person has. I mean, you know, am I good? Can I pull this story off? And it, the truth of the matter is you don't hear yes in this life unless you're ready. Mm. <laughs> and if someone says, no, I don't think that, you know, you'd be right for this project or whatever, well, you know, yeah, you can cry and complain and moan about it, but you know, in the end, it probably were doing you a favor that you didn't get the job. But I think um, if if you go into things with a reasonable plan, and you know, with the car films, uh, it's difficult because you never know what the weather's going to do. You know, there's a little bit of a safety issue, but for the most part, that's not been a problem. But I think it's just keeping at it, believing in it, staying with it, staying focused, staying in that that mode where you identify with what you're doing if you want quality quality is an event that happens when you identify with what you do i love that and yeah and uh well, i'm quoting said in the art of motorcycle maybe there, there you go yeah great book great <laughs> book. and that's a mechanical book you know yes uh, by robert persig and uh and so you know you want to bring a little bit of your intellect but you have to bring your physicality in your eye and and that's you know and at the same time you want to come out with something that's not fake something that's organic it's funny as you talk because uh, the time that we're doing this show, Bonneville's coming up here. So I've had a lot of guests on the show who have gone out to Bonneville. Danny Thompson, who's uh, going out there to race the car, his dad uh, set a world record in. And Holly Martin, Peter Vinson, who go out there to shoot. And Holly was telling me, along with Danny, going out to the Salt Flats and the challenges. And the, the last year they went, and it rained out the whole event. And how she took that disadvantage and turned it into an advantage and created some beautiful images with the water on the salt flat. So I understand what you're saying. That's fantastic. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum and have you share one of those aha moments in your career. It's a time when the headlights come on and and kind of illuminate your way for a new direction or a new idea, a new concept for a project. And tell us the steps that you took to turn your aha moment into a success. Well, there's just little little things. And I was thinking one of the things actually happened at Bonneville, and uh, the year before I made the documentary on John, I had a little commission by BMW to make actually a short film about John for the Vintage Fest at Lime Rock, <clears throat> and this is, I think, in 2003 or four. and uh, it was an alien environment. I didn't really understand what was happening half the time, but the, one of the afternoons, it was late in the afternoon, there was a, a guy out there who's known uh, as a child actor and became a photographer and a writer, auto, a really good automotive writer, Tim Considine. Tim also took Joni Mitchell's blue album cover. He lived in uh, Laurel Canyon and took a shot of her, that, which she used on the cover. But Tim was a Spin and Marty, the Mickey Mouse Club, and he was on My oh, Three Sons. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he, and he, he was the, 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 uh, the soldier that got slapped in the movie Patton, by the way. He was afraid. Oh. It was something like... <laughs> 40 takes or something. You get slapped all day by George C. Scott. But at any rate, I'm standing next to him in one of those moments where, you know, the light was perfect and, uh, you know, we were looking at the backdrop and we were shooting John in the car and we were watching cars go by and, and it was there's this quiet that happens at Bonneville even though they're racing. It's really a quiet place. And I just looked at how beautiful everything was around me and I said, 
I said, I've arrived. And he goes, excuse me. He goes, I'm, I'm here at Bonneville, and I'm standing next to Timmy from the Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> and you've arrived. <laughs> yeah, and he goes, well, yeah, well, well, I guess I'm happy you feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, was, you know, you just like, man. Well, He's crazy no artist. <laughs> yeah, no, but it was just something like, hey, I'm not in a queue. I'm not in some job I don't like. I'm not, right. uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting paid. I'm um and I'm doing what I love. And it's like, there are, you know, there are moments, uh, there was another moment. And actually, I think that same year, I participated in a documentary in Estonia, in Europe, uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, it was about the how the country was formed. And it was a, a song festival, which there's a stage that accommodates 18,000 people. Wow. And you look out on this Woodstock environment where like 350,000 people come to this. It's a UN event. UN Heritage event, and it's been going on for like 180 years. And there's this moment where I was camera person on the stage, um, which didn't happen all that often. And there was a shift in this 18, I mean, 15,000, not to be conservative, young women between the ages of 18 and 30 were coming towards me, all dressed in white. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were coming up on the stage to take, and I was, you know, I was on myself by myself, and then they were all coming on the stage toward me. And I just looked at this scene with these these beautiful girls in white coming my way in this backdrop with so many people and a limpic flame. Uh, it was like... How I, did I, I get here? <laughs> yeah, how could I like make this up? But that's another one of those moments where the, the cool part about making films is that you, you get exposed to a lot of things and, and go to a lot of places if you're, you know, you're lucky enough. Yeah, fantastic. I love it. I assume you've had many proud moments, but is there one in particular that stands out for you? Well... You know, on a basic level, anytime anybody hires you, that's a nice feeling. And a, and a, and, and, <laughs> Actually, pays you, you know, for the work you're doing. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, they're trusting you to tell the story of mm-hmm. what they're trying to sell, or, or you know, their history or something. And you know, any of the moments where you have a public screening, and uh, people get into it and um, ask questions afterward, and you know, want to want to buy a DVD or something. You know, that always feels good. But I I can remember making the Lime Rock film, you know, we were speaking about Sam Posey. He was the first person to see it, and he had been my advisor on it, and, and, you know, he lived about an hour and a half away from me, and I drove up on a very cold night and uh, showed it in his living room with the fireplace going, and uh, his wife had, you know, got some hot chocolate, and and, uh, it was kind of this Wow, yeah, here, here's Sam, and he, I watched him watch this thing. I was looking for his, his responses, and, and, and at the end, he was just, he was, you know, moved. Yeah. And uh, that really felt good. And there's things that happen. It's a recent film I made um, called Eye on the 60s. It's about the photographer who took the, the Bob Dylan's greatest hits shot. Um, his name is Roland Sherman, and he was, Judy Collins, the folk singer, was uh, one of his uh, subjects in Life magazine in the late 60s. And Judy's in my film, and it was really cool to meet her, but you know, she gave a concert up here on Cape Cod, where I live, and uh, you know, invited me backstage, my, uh, and it was really fun. And, and then she gave me a nice shout to the audience about my film. And yeah. you know, here's People on Cape Cod had seen the film because it played in a lot of the movie theaters, and so I got a nice round of applause in the audience. But here's Judy. How could you know you factor in? How would oh, gosh, how would Judy yeah. Collins ever make, you know, who's the, one of the greatest singers of all time and who's still going strong? You know, so it's nice when you get those little accolades. Those Absolutely. Like nice little, Absolutely. Those like karmic awesome. attaboys. Yeah, know, so. that's so cool. Let's have a little bit of fun here. You talked about remembering at 10 years old your parents getting that Bel Air, but what was your first really special vehicle? And perhaps you could share a memory that you had with that car. 
it took a while to get a special vehicle. <laughs> it does for many uh, of you us. You know, I really, I, I love Mini Coopers, and then I bought my first one in 2003. I just thought it was me, you mm-hmm. know, and it was a silver one with a black roof. And, it, it, it you know, being I hadn't, uh, you know, I filmed a lot of cars that were, like, uh, going to be beyond the reach of most humans. And I didn't really, you know, I'm kind of a practical guy, but when I saw the the, the Mini, the way it handled, you know, the, the mileage it got and, and everything, and it, that particular one didn't have any power, but that felt really good, you know, which feels like it's better for the environment. It, there's just a lot of neat things about the car, and I bought a, I bought a, I recently bought one, the new one, in, in 2014, and it's like two and a half times the car oh, yeah. um, in terms of uh, in terms of its quality. And they just do a really nice job, BMW, yeah. uh, in designing that, and, you know, and and giving you a lot for, you know, I, I must sound like I work for them, I don't, but <laughs> I just, I, I, I really think it's a cool car. And you know, if you got a car payment, it's sitting out there in the in the driveway. It's nice to be able to say, oh, I still like that car, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Rather than something you don't feel that passionate about you just sign in the checks every month well that's a great segue to my next question here and that has to do with seller's remorse is there a vehicle you've let go in your past that you really wish you could have back no that i wish i could have back yeah. uh, no I, even though that you know i talked about that 1954 chevy that was all beat mm-hmm. i've gone into the hemmings books and i've often dreamed of getting getting that car getting it in a you know in a nice you know, an unrusted form, and that would run. It would just be kind of fun to have it. And I mentioned it to my sister, and she goes, "Are you crazy? I hated that car." <laughs> but I can still remember that, that, even though we were getting rid of it when it drove away in 1966, and I could, I can still remember it taking off, and I was getting, I, I think I started to cry. <laughs> you know, and even though I hated it, everybody made fun of me for driving in it, and we'd. I'd often duck, you know, in the, the back seat if I was going by my friends, you know. So, uh, you know, uh, it, yeah. it, it does get. <laughs> I mean, it, it was definitely a poor man's car, especially the version we had. Yeah, no, it's great. But, those you know, memories. Kind of, yeah, yeah, but it'd be kind of fun to, to have it again or something similar. Yeah, something similar. How about projects? Are you working on something right now that really has you excited and fired up? Well, I just finished a, a project with um, a very cool auto and air museum in Maine. And this is a, a this is a, a contract. Uh, it's called Owl's Head Transportation Museum, and it's in the central coast of Maine. And they they specialize in you know old, very old cars from the uh, like, I think they have a Mercedes Benz from 1885. And Rolls Royce is the what is it the Silver Ghost? Mm-hmm. Um, you know they have Clara Bow's car, uh, a wow. big old white Rolls, and uh, and they have a really nice collection of, of vintage uh, biplanes. And so this was a, a both a, a on land and in the air project. And uh, they gave me a lot of uh, a leeway to make it, and I, I went up there several times last year, and uh, it, the results are pretty cool. And they're actually going to put it in their museum in about a couple weeks, and, and it's a very nice museum. It's a kind of a the Central Coast of Maine is a destination place, and mm-hmm. and it's a very uh, I'm going to cuss an organic kind of wholesome museum. It's about a seventy thousand square feet, and uh, people are real nice there, and, and it was nice to work with them. So I feel good about that. I I, I would love to do a biography. I'm working on. Uh, in the proposal stages uh, on 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 a couple of those, but uh, I, mean, I don't want to jinx them. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait for those but, uh, to come you know, to fruition. And, and, and I'm enjoying actually marketing my films to universities and libraries. And Great, doing a lot a lot of that lately. And uh, Brigham Young University just got the. Uh, both of my films, and you know, I to say Brigham Young University because the going at Twilight with Utah. Yeah, uh, you know, I guess they they wanted their hands on it, so awesome. that was a recent well, that was a recent sale. Congratulations, that's awesome. Now here's a real fun question for you, Chris. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be, and why? Oh, <laughs> well, well, I know what kind of animal I'd be, but I don't, um, well, 
if it would have to fit your personality, you know, I think it would probably be a, in a physicality. Um, it, it wouldn't be a small car. You know, I'm a tall person. You know, I, I probably could be a, you know, maybe a pickup truck. <laughs> <laughs> and know, why, why is like, that? U- utilitarian, useful, friendly? Yeah, pra- kind of practical. I, uh-huh. I um, and they take you on adventures. And yeah, I like that. And you know, you can go, you can go in places with a pickup. You can't go with a, you know, with a sports car. You sure. Know? And it's a, there's I, something benign about a pickup truck, but it's, but I don't really like them when they're too big. You know, and I like the, and it's a shame they don't really make a, uh, you know, the Ranger anymore. Because yeah. I, I have a Ranger, I have a Ford Ranger, which is almost 20 years old, and uh, I just love, I love, I, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to cry when that goes away. Well, hang on to it, but uh, I've heard that answer from many of my guests, a pickup truck, because of all the reasons you mentioned. I think those are, uh, it's a great answer. Chris, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a word from our sponsor. Carpe Viem. Seize the road. It's the motto at CarpeGear.com, where you'll find The Little Red Racing Car, an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an international award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kid's book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves The Little Red Racing Car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand where you can find his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at CarpeGear.com and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's CarpeGear.com, C-A-R-P-E, Gear.com. All right, Chris, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And this is where I fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Okay. Here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Check your fluids. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your successes? I just try to be conscientious, you know, and uh, I, I try not to upset people. <laughs> and, I, I, you know, I try to read what they're saying, and sometimes I don't do that. But uh, I think enthusiasm, if that's a, a personal habit, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think just having a propensity to uh, just to try if you can put your put yourself in their in their shoes. Perfect. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with the Cars Yeah listeners that you're real fond of? Well, perhaps this... Uh, Cars, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very kind of you. I, I appreciate that. You know, the the thing about resources was great is um, many of my guests will mention uh, a website they go to often, or maybe it's something that they see quite often. Uh, you know, I, I always liked Finnish Motorsport Magazine. I get emails from them a lot, and and there's really nice stories on there. Yes, Finnish Finnish Race Cars, another one. Chris, how about a book? Is there one book in particular that you think the Cars Yeah listeners would really enjoy reading? If you can get your hands on it, and I won't say Sam's name one, but one more time, but his book from 1975, I believe, yes. the Mudge Pond, Ex- the Mudge Pond Express. Yes, yes, that's been recommended here yeah. before. Great book. Yeah, that's a. <laughs> it's just colorful, and uh, I, I asked, I said, "How did you remember all this stuff?" And he goes, "Well, <laughs> <laughs> been around a long time." <laughs> yeah, he's a very talented yeah. guy for sure. Well, I'll remind yeah. our listeners that you can find links to all these great resources that Chris has shared with us at carsyeah.com slash Chris Sweeto. And Chris's last name is S 
Z, a W-E-D-O. All right, Chris, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, and you've been around a lot of great cars, and you mentioned uh, shooting Ralph Lauren's collection. Oh, my gosh, there's some choices there. But don't worry about the cost. If you want to pick one of his cars, I'll just plop it out of his collection and buy it for you. Yeah, right. (laughs) What would that one vehicle be and why? Oh, the the James Bond car from Goldfinger. Ah, the DB5. Uh, you know, it's a it's a film car for you know, and uh, I would want all the accessories. I would want the machine guns. I would want the, certainly want the ejector seat. <laughs> <laughs> but that is just it's it's got a great sound and and uh, you know Ralph Lauren did have a convertible version of it. I, I, I thought I saw that we didn't film that um, back when we did the Museum of Fine Arts show. I just think that's a, a, a just a neat looking car. You know, I just had a guest on the show, Lance Stander, and Lance owns Superformance. They build a replica, and I, I use the word very lightly because these are amazing GT40s, Shelby Cobras, Caterhams, and now they're building the uh, Chevrolet Grand Sport Corvette. And his car of choice was that same car, the DB5 uh, Superleggera cabriolet because his father had one of those cars very rare in the cabriolet form but it's it's funny that you picked that because he was just on a couple days ago so uh we've got a a similar choices here but uh beautiful beautiful cars and before we go off to a a final thoughts i'd love for you to touch just a a briefly on shooting ralph Lauren's collection and maybe just touch on a couple highlights here because that must have been an absolutely amazing experience you know ralph Lauren has a collection almost like none other. It's like he's plucked the best of the best. But can you give us just a, a quick story, something that maybe happened during that shoot that, that stands out in your mind? It's an abstract experience to be around um, cars like that, and, and uh, when it's, especially when it's off the track. If you, you kind of expect them on the track. But I, when I had to do, um, we filmed them in two locations, one out on Montauk and Long Island, and the other um, near Ipswich, Mass., where the Paul Russell restorations. Oh, uh, yes. Paul had restored many of Ralph's cars. Mm-hmm. and But I will just never forget when I went to check the collection on Long Island. At that time, they were uh, in Long Island and Montauk, and they were in this uh, kind of, you know, I would just say, very uh, unassuming building, that garage. And the door opened up, and there were 11 Ferraris in there. <laughs> It smelled red. It smelled I mean, red. I love that. <laughs> you know, I mean, there was a smell to it, and uh, you know, Mark, who is the uh, the curator, um, and still is great um, guy. But great guy. Yeah, keep, yeah, they're they're great to work with. Keep the door shut. Shut the door quick. Boom. Yes. You know, just because we didn't want that. You know, it was a humid day, and and I just like, and the cars that I was seeing. Well, that one was driven by Rodriguez or uh, Phil Hill or yes, uh, Dan Gurney rode, rode this one, and and. Uh, and, and you know, so it's just remarkable to take them on the road. They each had their own personality, and it affected how you were going to shoot. You know, the XKD 55 Jaguar, you know, uh, there was a driveway that Ralph had, which was very cool. It were very exotic plants, and I put myself right in the middle of those plants and uh, trees, and, and it looked like this cat. I mean, it was like, yeah, it's, it's, it was like a cat, you know? Yeah. Um, let's, let's have fun with this. Let's have this thing like it was a South American jungle. And it was just one thing. And, you know, uh, there was other cars, and they came out, and you just couldn't believe you were in them. And then there's somebody that I didn't even understand, I, a Bentley Blower from 1929. I didn't even know it was a race car. It looked like a train. Yes. So I said, let's film that near the train station. So we were, we were, we were putting it through mud puddles in the morning, and Mark says, you know, this is a race car, you yeah. know? And I said, well, to me, it seems like it belongs on on, on rail tracks. Oh, monster <laughs> you know? cars. 
Yeah, but, you know, I just think, you know, it's just a, what's so cool about what Loren does uh, and other guys like that is they're preserving the mechanical age, and that's the real value of what they do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we may have peaked past the mechanical age. We're talking about having driverless cars. It's just uh, sacrilegious. Oh, I know. <laughs> to, I don't think to anybody who listens to this show. And right. hopefully, if that happens, it won't happen in my lifetime. But, uh, you know, you just are aware of the artistry, the purpose, the performance of these cars, and to film them inspires you in how you film them, the, the angles you might choose. And I, I can remember there's a scene uh, that we, we shot where there's a long, out of Montauk, the state park on the end, there's a long hill uh, that comes down with a little 55-mile-an-hour uh, sign. And uh, uh, I just thought it was so fun to see Mark you know, once again, if what if we're just out here on public roads doing this thing, and uh, you know, where, where are the cops? You know, <laughs> <laughs> this is just fun. It just rips right by the 55 mile an hour sound like it was a joke. You know, and but just to hear the sound, the Doppler effect, the, the sound of them coming off the trees in the woods. You know, it's hard to capture that, but when you're there, you definitely know. You know why people get into this. You're in a special place. Fantastic. That must have been a wonderful experience. Well, Chris, you've taken me on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yacht listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Aston Martin DB5? You know, just follow your passion. And, you know, you're only on the planet once, and, and you might as well do something you like. And if you find that, you're lucky. And if you do it, you're even luckier. But Absolutely. just to, just to pursue that, it's... Um, Absolutely. Every day I wake up, that's what I think about. (laughs) Great. I love it. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your business? Well, there's a couple of websites. Uh, As far as the Lime Rock movie, it's uh, www.limerockmovie.com. Also, sweedo.com, S-Z-W-E-D-O.com. And the other movie we made, which has been on PBS stations, uh, ionthe60s.com which has nothing to do with racing, except my old Mini Coopers in it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, cool. Cool. I love it. Well, listeners, you can find links to everything that Chris has shared with us today. Again, at com. Just put Chris in the search box and his show notes page will pop up. And I encourage you to go see his films. Uh, they're just absolutely spectacular. You can go to his website and see some little snippets of some of the other work he's done. I think all of it is really fantastic. I love what you're doing, Chris, and I want to thank you for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences and your journey with me and the listeners Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.